Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. We are going to be continuing our Letters to the Churches sermon series. As I said, the letters to the churches that Jesus wrote, they come to us in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. So a big focus on chapters 2 and 3 for the letters themselves, but of course we studied chapter 1 for the setup, and we're going to cover uh, uh, some of chapter 4, if not all of chapter 4, uh, continuing on after this. But tonight, this is week number 7 of Letters to the Churches, and we are going to be studying our 7th Church of Revelation. But before we get into that, let me do a little recap for those of us who are just joining us, and maybe for the first time. The book of Revelation, not Revelations, but Revelation. It was a revelation that uh, uh, Jesus was given and that he, gave, that he spoke to John the Revelator, the Apostle John. Revelation simply means unveiling. I want you to think of a bride when she walks down the aisle and you lift back the veil and you look face to face. Right? You can look each other in the eyes. It is an unveiling. To a degree, this is, this is idiomatic of what God is doing with us, what He's doing with us as He's showing us things that are to come. Things that were, things that are, and things that are to come as you're going to see. So Revelation, the consummation of all things. It's the only book in the Bible that promises a special blessing to the person who reads it. So if you're still with us and you're a new person who just surfed on in, you're going to want to hang out for this, guys, because Revelation, if you're reading along, there's a special blessing from God to you for reading it. As a matter of fact, the blessing continues in verse 3, saying even the person that just hears it being read will be blessed for it. So <clears throat> let me read it to you, if nothing else, okay? This book presents God's climax for, for mankind. God's what is life all about? Why are we here? What is all of this? This book presents the climax. Jesus began laying out his plan by writing seven letters to seven churches. Can we see that first graphic? Here they are. These seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Why these seven, right? We always say, we always ask, why these seven? Why not Jerusalem? Why not Antioch. Why not Rome? Well, there are reasons for that. Can I see that graphic uh, for the reasons? Well, these were actual churches. Actual churches. That's right. Sir William Ramsey did some great work, archaeological work, and discovered that the, the sites or the ruins in some cases, and we'll get to that relevance later tonight, the ruins in some cases and uh, the, the, in some cases, existing churches still to this day here. So they were real churches with real people, with real struggles. What he writes to them about, what he writes to them about were really things that they were struggling with among them. Okay, so each message applies to that church, obviously, but also to every other church, every other church uh, to some degree. The Holy Spirit says, He that hath an ear at the end of each letter, he that hath an ear, let him hear. This is suggestive that this message applies to us as well. Are we not hearing it? 
what the Spirit says to the churches. And of course, there's a prophetic significance, which we really, uh, really unrolled and uncovered last week. Uh, these, is, these specific churches are, have relevance to us prophetically, it be, considering the order in which they're written in the book of Revelation, considering different things that happened to the church throughout history. And we'll touch back on that in a little while. So put a pin in that, okay? What have we learned so far? Let's take a look at that. What have we learned so far studying through six different churches of Revelation? Well, can I see that graphic? Ephesus, we learned devotion, not just doctrine. Don't lose your first love. Smyrna, endure persecution. Smyrna was the persecuted church. You know, they were persecuted probably more than any other church uh, in history until the 20th century. Many people don't realize this, but globally, they don't realize it because we're so blessed here in the United States. But in the 20th century, more Christians have died in their faith just in the past 20th century than in all previous centuries combined. There has been that much persecution against the Christian church. But let's keep going. Go back to that graphic. Pergamus, <clears throat> this is the church that married uh, the world. Paganism came in among them, and they embraced it. So don't marry the world. Stand fast against the world. Thyatira, don't compromise or be manipulated. <clears throat> this is the church that had that woman Jezebel in her, if you recall. So don't compromise. Don't be manipulated. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated uh, by that spirit. Also, don't let that spirit operate in you. Don't be the manipulator. And don't tolerate pagan practices in you, church. All right? Sardis, this was the dead church. <clears throat> you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You are dead. So what did Jesus say? He encouraged watchful dis uh, diligence for them. You need to be watchful. You need to be diligent because they weren't. And then lastly, Philadelphia. Basically, he said, you're doing great. Just keep it up. Hold fast. Don't let your crown be stolen here before the end. With that in mind, let's take a look at our prophetic profile. Our prophetic profile uh, opens our, our eyes as well. So what do we see? Historically, as we mentioned, we really hit this uh, hard last week. Ephesus, so I won't spend too much time here either. Ephesus, it's the first church mentioned in Revelation. Was this the apostolic church, the first church? A lot of similarities. Was Smyrna the persecuted church historically that came after that era? It sure looks like it could be. Pergamus, was that the married church, the first church that, uh, uh, that first Catholic church that allowed pagan practices to come in among them? Thyatira, was that the medieval church? And again, guys, there's too much for me to even get into on just trying to overview. There's so much information that we packed into each one of these studies. I encourage you to go back and uncover all those jewels. Sardis, the denominational church, which is dead. Uh, and now Philadelphia, the missionary church. Of these churches, one was promised to be cast into the tribulation. Yes, that great tribulation. And one was promised to be removed prior as we studied last week. Tonight, we are going to look at the church of Laodicea. Which means, if you break that down into the Greek, it means rule of the people. Remember, as we studied a, a few weeks ago, we heard about these Nicolaitans, which Nicolaitans, when you break that down into the Greek, it means rule to rule over the laity or to rule over the people. God was not pleased with these people who had the practices of the Nicolaitans. The motives, the thoughts of the Nicolaitans, right? Because they wanted to use their position in clergy to rule people politically and 
That's not what he wanted. The model, the model that Jesus set forward is that servants, uh, leaders serve, right? Jesus came and he washed the feet of this, the disciple. That's God's uh, model for leadership in the church. So the fact that um, somebody would take advantage of their leadership position in a church and use it to manipulate people, use it to have power over people, he hates that. Well, this is kind of backwards to that, isn't it? Laodicea, rule of the people. This is different, okay? This is the church. Are you ready for it? Here's a note for you. This is the church that does market research to make sure that they're user-friendly, all right? And to make sure that they're not offending anybody. This is the church that when the people come and say, I don't really like this, I don't really like that, I don't really like this, this makes me feel bad, this makes me feel that, that the leadership will always cater to the culture, always cater to the people. You know, it makes me feel bad that when I have to, you know, I know the Bible says this, but it makes me, you know, I just feel bad for them. And do we have to, we shouldn't talk about that because it's just going to make them feel bad. It's okay, we won't talk about that, right? Whatever it is, imagine, imagine uh, unholy marriages or unions or, or whatever else, you know, we're just going to not touch these subjects from the pulpit because they make people uncomfortable. We're not going to talk about issues or politics. We're not going to talk about you name it, right? Anything that makes people uncomfortable or it's uh, an issue that needs to be debated or hammered out doctrinally or if correction for the church needs to be brought hard for the people of the church from the pulpit, the pulpit won't do it because ultimately it's the people that are ruling that church. The people are ruling and controlling. So it's, yeah, market research. Think market research. What do people want to hear? That's what we're going to say. It's that church, Laodicea, right? Interesting, Paul wrote his first letter to Timothy from the church of Laodicea. So Paul was actually there. This church has a historical background. Let's cover some of this. Part of this study, as you guys have realized if you've been with us every week, is that we cover a lot of deep history about these actual churches, these physical churches, these real people that were really uh, struggling with these things. But it's really been insightful, and it's really revealed a lot to us. This tonight is no different. We're going to see there's a lot for us in just going over a few, a few historical uh, uh, elements here. So let's look at the historical background of Laodicea, the real place, the real city, the real church. 2000 BC, it was founded by the Lonians as a small town uh, in Diaspolis if you can say that right, Greek town, right? 2000 BC, it's founded. 19th century BC, the Hittites, yes, those Hittites added it to their expanding empire. 900 BC is captured by the Phrygians, and soon after the Lydians renamed it Roas. 250 BC, it was taken by the Syrians, Antiochus, a name that's familiar to us Christians. Uh, he rebuilt the town and renamed it after his wife, Laodice, and that's where we get the name Laodicea, right there, Antiochus' the second's wife. In 190 BC, it became part of the kingdom of Pergamus and ultimately passed into the hands of the Roman Empire. According to Josephus, there was a large Jewish colony there, all right? So this is stuff that start historical things that we know, they become relevant as we study the scripture, and if we don't know these things, the scripture just won't jump off the page as much as it can and as much as it will. Trust me. Keep, let's keep reading some more of this. And I'm telling you, 
when you know this history, the scripture is going to jump off the page at you tonight. The economy in Laodicea was an important factor, okay? It was a city of merchants. Do we have that graphic? It was a city of merchants. It's a city of bankers, a city of gold refiners. At the junction, is at the junction of road, uh, roads leading from Ephesus and Smyrna, okay? So think it's good for commerce, merchants, bankers, bankers, gold refiners. The caravan trade out of Laodicea uh, stretched as far east as the Yellow River in Punjab by, this, by the China Sea. Cicero held court there and did his banking in Laodicea. So this is a rich town, a rich place. How rich? Well, we already know from studying the past churches that this is a really turbulent area as far as um, earthquakes go. Uh, seismetric readings and all that stuff, right? Uh, well, it, was, it had a, suffered a great earthquake in 62 AD, and when it was destroyed by an earthquake in 68, 62 AD, it was rebuilt by its wealthy citizens without help from Rome. Without help from Rome. That we, we see that uh, uh, previously in our study of the churches, this was not the only church that was hit by earthquakes. Yet those previous churches needed vast financial support from Rome to rebuild themselves. Not this church. This is the church that didn't need anything from anybody else. Okay, They were rich. Okay. Uh, the, the wealthy citizens of Rome rebuilt the city themselves. That's how wealthy they were. Gold refining, right? They didn't need a thing from the outside. Now, interestingly though, they were a city uh, that was indefensible. Can we see that next graphic? They were prosperous and neutral. So very prosperous, but they were neutral in... Uh, whenever different uprisings would happen. They just always tried to stay neutral with whoever was warring, okay? Since it was never military, militarily defensible, its posture was one of compromise. A highly successful commercial and financial center, there, they found remains of a theater there, aqueducts, ba uh, baths, and gym uh, gymnasiums. Bathhouses think like steam rooms and whatnot. Uh, if you've ever been to Israel, you go up on Masada, you see the old steam rooms that were built there by the Romans. So bathhouses, steam rooms, gymnasiums, and a stadium still survive to testify to its former luxury. Uh, interestingly, textile manufacturing, Laodicea was known for uh, the quality of black wool. Don't let that be lost on you. Put a pin in that black wool. That's going to come back around, okay? Uh, black wool was produced from a particular strain of sheep breed, uh, or there was bread in Lycus called, uh, and for, it was used, anyway, it was used for uh, cloth and carpets, uh, and it was manufactured for that purpose. Looks like I have some typos here. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, a famous school of medicine was also there. With its wealth comes this knowledge. It was known especially for an uh, op ophthalmic, ophthalmic, Ointment, in other words, for optometry. Think eyes, okay? Uh, I'm not an optometrist, so I butchered that word. I'm sorry. Uh, ophthalmic, that's got to be it. Anyway, uh, this was a mixture of oil and colorium powder. It was actually described by Aristotle as Phrygian powder. Again, 
put a pin in this one. When we study the text tonight, this is going to jump off the page to you as well. Let's move on to the next graphic. This is also very significant. And some of you may have heard me teach on this before or some other pastor teach on this, but it's imperative to understand the Laodiceans. Their water supply. Their water supply. Laodicea was near uh, Hierapolis. It was six miles away from Laodicea, Hierapolis. It was renowned for its hot springs. As a matter of fact, the Turkish government is attempting to harness its geothermal power source even today. Laodicea stood midway between the hot springs of Hierapolis and the cold waters of Colossus, where the Colossian church was. Okay? It was fed by an aqueduct from Hierapolis, the hot spring. It was fed by an aqueduct into Laodicea. So the water, by the time it arrived in Laodicea, was lukewarm. Okay? So I want you to understand this historically now. Okay? When, when you're drinking water that's been sitting out, and it gets warm, what happens to warm water? Does anybody have a swimming pool that's not chock full of uh, uh, chlorine or whatever? <laughs> I can tell you that our pool, if we don't take care of it, when the, when the water is lukewarm, it's not cold nor hot, what happens to it? Bacteria grows. How does a swimming pool turn green? When does a swimming pool turn green, right? It turns green when the water is warm. When it's not boiling, like a hot spring, but it's not cold either. Right now we've got water in the pool and it's crystal clear. Why? It's cold, right? Nothing's growing in it. So, so bacteria grows in lukewarm water. And what does that do to you? It makes you sick, right? And can give you bacteria, infection, all of that stuff. So the people in Laodicea would have to boil their water before they could use it. So they're always boiling their water because they, it's not fresh water. It's lukewarm. So to do anything, they'd have to first cleanse the water. So you need to understand this historical uh, piece here, okay, guys? So all of that being said, all of that being said, now you're going to see why all of this history is relevant to the letter. Open your Bibles if you haven't yet. We're going to look into Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22, and everybody flipped their Bible pages around, and Pastor Chad was happy. Wonderful. Let's read verse 14 together. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, remember our, uh, the model that we have for each letter. The title of Christ is first given. Okay, and here comes the title. He says, these things says the amen. And you guys have heard me say this before if you've been with Life Story. Amen means in Greek, it means truth. It means verily. It's something that people would say, sometimes even churches today. Uh, if, if a pastor says something that you know is true and you're excited to hear him saying it, you say, amen, right? I love it when people talk back to me when I'm teaching. They say, amen. I'm like, amen. Really what we're saying is verily, truth. That is truth, right? So these things says the truth. That's he's titling himself as the amen, the truth, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the beginning of the creation, the creation that God created at the beginning of the creation. That's him. Quite a title, quite a title. Uh, you know, faithful and true witness, there's nine other references uh, throughout this, the scripture uh, where he is titled that. I'm not going to 
take the time to go through all that. But the beginning of the creation of God, this is an interesting title here. This really is an interesting title here uh, because it's used uh, of, of rank and it's used of honor. He was the first one. You see that? That's what he's saying. I am the first, okay? I am the beginning. God's creation, I am the beginning of that. And we know from other studies that when the, when the world was formless and the presence of God just hovered over the water before the creation, that was Jesus, right? And so he is the beginning. So this is interesting that he names himself this. It's also interesting because uh, this expression is only used here in this letter to Laodicea and in Paul's letter to, Col- to the Colossians. So those two, only those two cities uh, are, is this found. Paul's, and also interesting is that Paul specifically instructed that the Colossians and the Laodiceans exchange epistles. Exchange epistles. So Paul wrote a rebuttal to them both, uh, to the Gnostic errors that were beginning to, to uh, make their appearance in the Lycus Valley, in the whole valley. And the churches in Laodicea and Colossus we're dealing with this, so Paul wrote them each their own epistle, and he said, hey, make sure you exchange epistles so you can both get, because this is stuff that's both relevant to both of you guys. So, interesting title. There's his title. So, now we move on. If we've been following the format through these seven churches, there is God, first the title of Christ, then God gives a commendation, tells them what they've been doing well. Then he moves on into what he's concerned for them about. So let's move on into the commendation that God gave them. There isn't one. There isn't one. <laughs> there is literally, he has nothing good to say to them. And that's frightening, church. That's a, the only one other church did he have nothing good to say uh, to. Say to. Uh, there's nothing good to say about them. He just moves straight in to the con- straight into the concern. Well, what, what is the concern? Let's read it together in verse 15. He says, "I know your works." Again, this is not the only time that we've seen him say, "I know your works." Right? I know your works. That means he sees us. He's watching us. Church, do you hear that? He knows your works. Don't think that he doesn't see you all the time. You're his child. He sees you all the time. And if you're a believer, you're his. The Holy Spirit is within you all the time, all right? I know your works, he says, that you are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot. This makes sense now, doesn't it? After our little history study, do you remember your history lesson? I wish, let's keep reading, I, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. Remember, now go back to our history lesson. Do you remember your history lesson? Remember, they were rich. They were merchants. Uh, they were trading in everything. They, they traded as far east as China. Come on now. <laughs> they were gold refiners. This is a wealth. Their city was destroyed, and they didn't even need help from Rome to rebuild it. He says, so then, because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, and I have become healthy, uh, wealthy, and I have need of nothing. Let's go back to verse 17. And do, and do not know 
that you are wretched. So you think you're wealthy and you say you're saying that you need nothing and you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Mm. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Blind and naked. All right. Here's the exhortation here. Verse 18. If you remember our outline, he'll move into the uh, exhortation. He's going to give some encouragement now. Okay. Verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Who are the people he's speaking to? Gold refiners. This is their business. But he's not talking about rocks. He's not talking about earthly elements. No, no, no. He's talking about something. This is uh, uh, metaphorical here. Something else. Something supernatural. Gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Because they're not, remember? They're poor, blind, and naked, miserable, wretched. But he'd have them be rich. He would have them be rich. And white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness, there it is, That take that pin out from the previous verse, Come and bring it down here, the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, okay? This, is, uh, 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 this reminds us uh, of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, when Paul wrote to Timothy, who was in Ephesus, and he said, Study to show thyself approved. Right? Study the Word of God. To show thyself approved, so you are not ashamed. Right? And we find scripture that says, always references the, the, the reference to the being naked and ashamed. We know the, the story of the high, the, the high priest, right? How the, the new priest would always get the bad job of having to stay up through all the night and keep the fires burning at the temple. Well, the, the high priest would sometimes sneak in to check on them, make sure they were staying awake and doing their job. And if the new priest in the temple had fallen asleep, they'd put a coal from the fire onto his cloak. It would catch on fire. And he'd wake up because his robe is on fire and have to take it off and throw it off because it's on fire. And he would run away because he was naked and ashamed, right? So all of that ties together here, church, okay? So keep this in mind when you hear being naked, being ashamed. And then uh, uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study. Do what? Study to show thyself approved. I'm telling you guys, there's these church movements out there and it's all just based on emotion and how you feel and working you up emotionally. And, and, and uh, talk, they talk all about the presence of God and the presence. And, the, and look, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We re- believe in the gifts of the Spirit and the presence of God is very real. But the presence of God is with you right now. And yes, there are times that we can tap into that and we can, we can, we can uh, be empowered by the Holy Spirit for different, uh, for different things, different times that we need strength or discernment or wisdom. We can press into the Holy Spirit spirit. I let, I'm not saying we don't do that, but there are movements right now, that, like the new apostolic uh, reformation movement that's huge in America right now and globally really, where it's all about emotion, whipping you up emotionally, and it's far less about studying. As a matter of fact, if these people were studying the Word of God, they would realize uh, where they're being misled doctrinally, but because they're not studying, they're easily being uh, whipped up emotionally and led astray. So don't let this be lost on you. What the Holy Spirit says through Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy, study. And we're doing it tonight, aren't we? Study to show thyself approved, not ashamed, rightly discerning the word of God. Amen? And then this, 
Uh, let's go back to verse 18. Let's finish out verse 18. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Remember your history lesson? What else was it known for? For the medical college, right? For the eye salve that I had a horrible time pronouncing, right? Church, do we not see that God speaks to us in terms that we will understand? That is the heart of God. You know, you know, there was a period in my life where, you know, I'd want God to speak to me and I'd go to his word and I might just flip it open blindly and stick my finger down on somewhere in Leviticus and try to read it and it wouldn't make any sense to me. And I'd say, oh, you know, it's all, it's all, I can't even understand this, right? What is God going to speak to me through about in Leviticus? So, you know, I'd look somewhere else and whatnot, you know, early on in my, in my faith walk and whatnot. Church, don't be discouraged if that's where you're at right now. If you're new in your faith and new in your study, if you've never really tried to study the Bible, and I'm not just talking about just reading it casually. I'm talking about studying the Word of God. God will always, if you see it throughout Scripture, He speaks to the people in terms that they understand. Consider this for a moment. If we didn't know the history of this town, so much of what we just read and how He spoke to them would have been lost on us. But because we do know, guess what? We also know our own history. So look for God to speak to you in ways that you will understand. He will, and he's faithful to do so, okay? So uh, he'll show you things in the Word of God. Uh, and uh, I encourage you to be a student, as, as we saw in 2 Timothy. Get yourself a good study Bible. Because a study Bible, what it does is it gives you context right under those verses, and it's a good starting point at least, okay? So, uh, but I love this. God always speaks to us in terms that we'll understand. He always does. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. As many as I love, rebuke, I rebuke and chasten. You ever feel like uh, God's being hard on you? Have you ever been in a place where, gosh, I, the Holy Spirit is convicting me? making me feel terrible about these decisions that I've made, and yeah, they were wrong, and this and that, and you know, circumstances in my life, or the way that they're going right now, it's almost as if God wants me to change some things in my life. Yeah, well, he'll do that. If He says, as many as I love. So don't take that, um, I've heard people complain about that. I just feel like God is against me. God is for you, all right? God takes what the enemy means for your destruction, and he takes it, and he uses that same thing, that same attack, and he uses it for your good. He takes your failures and turns them into authority to speak into other people's lives, okay? He takes your failure and he builds strength out of that for you, right? If you continue to press into him, if you continue to walk after him and seek him, if you continue to change your, your ways and correct where you are walking in error, all right? He will always take the bad and work it out for good for you, all right? Um, but uh, he will, he, if, he, if he loves you, he will rebuke and he will chasten. And that word there, of course, the same as it is in Hebrews, the train as one trains a child. So therefore, be zealous and repent. Remember, metanio, change your mind, right? And be zealous for it. Because you know what? Here it comes, verse 20. Behold, somebody say that with me. <clears throat> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
This is such a great verse, isn't it? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I heard this verse on, from TV preachers my whole life growing up because I grew up in a house where there was always a TV preacher on in the mornings. I'm just, especially on Sunday mornings, but even throughout the week, there was always a TV preacher on. My dad or mom or both of them were watching a TV preacher. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this and it's, some evangelist always presenting how beautiful it is that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart today. And if you'll just let him in, you know, he'll dine with you and you with him. And it's just all about, hey, you know what? Uh, what, an awesome, uh, what an awesome verse to point to for altar calls. Come on in, guys. Just open the door of your heart to Jesus. And that is such a powerful, powerful image. It truly is. I've seen paintings of this image, and it's beautiful. However, that is completely out of the context of this verse, okay? This is the final, what this is, imagine, behold, remember who he's speaking to? He's speaking to a church, the church of Laodicea. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. This is the final indictment of the church of Laodicea. Where is Jesus? Where is Jesus here? He's not even in the building. This is the church that has done all of the marketing strategies. They've done all, the, all of the surveys. What do people want? What do we people want? What do we need to focus? What's our mes- messaging have to be to grow to grow uh, the numbers and to grow the the money and to grow the operation? And it, this thing is humming like a top. I mean, they got it down to a science. This is the church that has it down to a science, even down to how to manipulate the emotions of people through worship, even through, you know, we got to, you know, regardless of what the Holy Spirit is doing and how he might be leading in any service, we're going to end the day on a happy song so people feel good when they leave because if they feel good when they leave, they're going to be statistically more likely to come back. I mean, they've got this stuff broken down to statistics and science. And Jesus isn't even in the building with them. They're doing it on their own. They are rich, they are wealthy, and they, don't, they can do this without him. They don't even need him. Think of the, the church in Laodicea. Think of the city. It was destroyed by earthquakes. They didn't even need help from Rome to rebuild it. They just did it themselves. This is the church that doesn't need help from anyone. They don't even need help from Jesus. So he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. What a chilling, chilling condemnation. Oh, my. Mm. Let's keep reading. Verse 20, if anyone, anyone, the King James Version here says any man. Okay, so this is being uh, specifically, this, he's speaking to an individual. Okay, don't let that be lost on you. We'll come right back. If anyone or any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. One thing I love about Jesus is that he's never seen after the resurrection with people not eating. He loves to eat. That's why I so miss our gathers at the table the first Sunday of every month that we were doing. Uh, Can't wait till we were able to get back uh, together into our meeting place at the Bellevue Middle School uh, and do that again, unless God's got somewhere better for us. If anybody wants to buy us a church, that'd be great. So, um, but he'll, he, he says here, let's focus on this. If anyone, can we go back to that verse and look at that real quick? If anyone hears my voice 
This is an individual, okay? Sorry, you can come back to me now. The, the church, the corporate church, the corporate church isn't going to open the door. He's not appealing to the broad. He said, if any one of you, guys, just one of if any one of you, okay? Uh, this really tells me, you know, there, every, there are people in just about every church. You look at these letters to the churches. They're, they're pretty condemning of a lot of churches, except for one, right? Uh, or two. You know, corporately. But in every letter, there's a moment where Jesus says, to he that overcomes these things. Look, this I have. I, you've been doing great at this. Here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what I have against you. But here's how you overcome. And if you overcome, here's a promise for you, right? So there are people within these churches that do love Jesus, that do love sound doctrine, that recognize the bad teaching, that recognize the bad practices, that recognize uh, what's, what's going wrong, or the Holy Spirit is, is trying to reveal it to them, right? <laughs> if you're in one of these churches, in this Laodicean church, and it is... It, this, this, this is the this is it's the biggest church in the world. The, most churches in the country right now are the Church of Laodicea. If you're in one of these churches, Jesus is making an appeal to you personally right here. This is not just about the corporate church. Hey, if this whole church structure will turn itself around, it's such a monster moving a hundred miles an hour off a cliff right now that there's no way it could downhill. It could never turn around, but you can jump off. And Jesus says, if you'll just open the door, the doorknob is on the inside. If you'll just open the door, I'll come in and dine with you and you with me. Open the door to him. Open the door. And then comes the promise to the overcomer in uh, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Whoa. And I also, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This is really interesting here. This is really interesting here. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Is Jesus on his throne right now? Show of hands, yes or no? Is Jesus on his throne right now? Eva, yes, no? Jesus is not on his throne yet. Can you believe that? He sits with his father in his throne. You just heard it. He's at the right hand of the Father, we know that. But guess what? His throne is in Jerusalem. He is the Messiah of Israel and the Messiah of all the, all the earth. And he will sit on David's throne. He is promised and prophesied to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. Gabriel promised Mary. Gabriel told Mary that he would sit on David's throne. How cool is that? So we know that the time is coming. The day is going to come when Jesus will return and sit on that throne and he will rule for a thousand years. Somebody say amen. Truth. Amen. So here we go. Let's, can I see this next graphic? Jesus, he gives them a re the remedy. <laughs> this is a messed up church, but he gives them a remedy. Let's see that graphic. The remedy is this. It's the remedy that's proposed is their blindness and their nakedness. They are not incurable. Thank God, right? 
If this, if this is hitting a little home, too close to home for you guys right now, there's good news. It's not incurable. The ultimate refiner offers his covering. Okay, take a screenshot of this so you can look up these verses. The bridegroom offers his covering to you. A white raiment. Versus, get this, the glossy raven-colored black wool garment, right? What was Laodicea known for? The color black. Mm. The great physician offers his remedy to really open their eyes, using the Holy Spirit as the eye salve to open their eyes. God is so good. He speaks to us. He speaks to us in ways that we can understand. I hope this is really coming off the page for you guys tonight, man. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen? I want you to notice here that this, verse 22, it's in the postscript again. Remember, we've been touching on this a little bit uh, as we go through, putting pins in as we studied at every letter. The first three letters, the, the he, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, was before the promise to the overcomer. But now in these last four, the hear that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, has been coming after the promise to the overcomer. Make note of that, and we're going to touch on that in just a second. Before we do, though, I want to share this. It's pretty interesting. Uh, engraved on the cath uh, cathedral, the Catholic Church cathedral, in Lübeck, Germany, there's a poem. And I think it's rather poignant it's really, honestly, a good summary for the Laodicean church. I want to share it with you guys. You, you may have seen this out on the internet before, but let's read it together. You call me master and obey me not. Ye call me light and seek me not. Ye call me way and walk me not. You call me life and desire me not. Ye call me wise and follow me not. Ye call me fair and love me not. Ye call me rich and ask me not. Ye call me eternal and seek me not. Oh boy. Ye call me gracious and trust me not. Ye call me noble and serve me not. Ye call me mighty and honor me not. Ye call me just and fear me not. If I condemn thee, blame me not. Wow. Incredibly poignant. So what have we learned through these seven churches? Let's take a look at that graphic. This is a more complete through all seven. What have we learned? What have we learned? Let's look at it. If Ephesus, devotion, not just doctrine. Don't lose your first love. Okay, don't neglect your priorities. Smyrna, endure persecution, endure satanic opposition. They were opposed by Satan himself coming against them. Okay, Pergamus, and he's coming after you. He hasn't stopped, by the way, if you haven't noticed. And he is raging in our streets now more than ever. Pergamus, don't marry the world. Stand fast. And this, this is about worldly compromise. You know, this is the Roman Catholic Church that married the world and brought in all those pagan practices where we see the Dagon, God of Dagon, uh, <coughs> false god Dagon fish hats and, you know, the Dionysus staff with the pine cone on it. We see all of these pagan imagery in their dress and everything nowadays. Not, but, because that's when it first came into the church was through the, what became the Catholic Church. But the world is running away with uh, Protestant churches as well nowadays. My goodness. 
I don't. I will stop short of naming churches that I don't think I need to. I think you know about the Hillsongs and Bethels of the world and everything else. So, uh, don't marry the world, church. And it starts with you. It's not just the corporate structure. You are the church. We know that. You are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not even a name on a sign. The church is not a, the LLC that we're formed as so we can have tax protections or whatever, right? No, we are the church. We are the church called out Ecclesia into a public gathering to proclaim the name of Jesus together. So uh, let's keep going. Thyatira, don't compromise or be manipulated or manipulate. Don't be the one doing the manip manipulating either. Gut check time. Be real with yourself. Do you, you use people's emotions against them? Do you use your emotions to control them? <sighs> mm. Don't tolerate pagan practices in your church. Don't tolerate it in your personal life. Sardis, watchful di diligence. Remember, call to the dead church. Call to the dead church. Philadelphia, you're doing great. Keep it up. Hold fast. If that's you, you think you're small, but you're mighty. Keep in mind as we read this, as we studied each individual church, every church that we covered was surprised by the report of how they were doing. The churches that thought they were doing great get a message that they're doing terribly. Look at Laodicea. They're rich. They're buzzing. They're humming. They got all the strategies, the market, uh, market uh, strategies and all of that stuff. They think they're doing great. They're just, you know, they don't, they're doing so well, they don't even need God. They got this under control, right? Of course, they wouldn't say that or realize that, but they think they're doing great, but they're doing, doing horrible. The Church of Philadelphia thinks they're small and they think that they're poor, they're, think they're poor and God says, you are doing perfect. You are doing great. This is a different narrative than the uh, Name It and Claim It movement wants to tell you, right? Uh, the prosperity gospel wants to tell you. Uh, now, this is all about Philadelphia. Let's look at that loyal ambassadorship. And he just says, don't let your crown be stolen. And then lastly, Laodicea, don't let prosperity lead you into compromise. Whew, because it certainly will try. Repent and be committed. And let's move into our prophetic profile. What do we see then? All of the churches, do they have a place in history? The apostolic church, the persecuted church, is there a reason God used these seven churches and put them in this order? Does it line up per uh, perfectly with church history? This is pure conjecture, but I think it does. The persecuted church, the married church that entered married paganism, the medieval church, the, the church of that woman, Jezebel, uh, and uh, uh, when the church was so infected with sexual sin, Sardis first became infected with such sexual sin it is today still. Sardis, the denominational church, the dead church. Hard to argue that the, whole, uh, the Holy Spirit is not in the denominational churches today. You can't pretend it is. All right? I know there are some, some exceptions, but generally. Philadelphia, the missionary church, Laodicea, is the apostate church that we are so familiar with today. One promise to be cast into the tribulation, one promise to be removed prior to the tribulation. So much of this study, guys, I, you know, every teacher stands on the shoulders of some other great teacher. And, and I have told you guys this a number of times. Chuck Missler is just an amazing teacher. Um, wish I would have had a chance to meet him before he uh, passed on to glory. But, but uh, you know, I get so much great contact from him and from the Koinonia House. Uh, Henry Halley, his incredible work uh, uh, that was a life's work of his, 
Um, Chuck Missler um, uncovered so much truth in his time and his ministry. You know, these design tallies that we're talking about, I want to show you, share with you a couple of his graphics, okay? If you've never studied him on YouTube, I wish you guys would. Can I see that next picture, the design tally? Going through this work of, of these seven letters, remember we talked about there being uh, a similar, similar um, structure to each letter. The name, the title, the commendation, concerns, exhortation, promise of the overcomer, promise of the... Well, here, we, here we see it laid out. Everything we've been talking about, the church of Ephesus, all seven churches got the name and the title. Uh, only five churches were told that they were doing something good. The church, the dead church Sardis, he had nothing good to say about him. The Laodicean church had nothing good to say about him. Concerns that he had for churches, only the persecuted church in Smyrna, he had nothing uh, bad to say about them. And the church in Philadelphia, nothing bad to say about them. You know, the church in Smyrna, with all the persecution they were going under, they had to be thinking something was going wrong. But no, he had nothing bad to say about them. He encouraged all seven. That should be encouraging to us, regardless of where you are or what church you're in what spirit is operating predominantly in your church. Or, you know, some of all seven of these spirits could be operating in, in every church to some degree because these letters were for, they were meant to be for every other church as well, okay? Some churches deal more with some issues than other issues. Some deal with Jezebel more than they deal with uh, um, the uh, being dead. I get that. But in any case, every church deals with these issues to some degree. Now, here's where it gets interesting. And all this time, all these past few weeks, I've been, t I've been telling you uh, the, the promise to the overcomer, is it in the script or is it postscript, so on and so forth. This is where it gets kind of cool. So the first three letters, the promise to the overcomer was in the script, okay? The last four, the promise to the overcomer was postscript. Why is that? Well, can I see this next picture of Chuck's? Dr. Missler's, I should say. Here we have Ephesus. Look at this timeline. I'll explain it to you. It's starting the top left, Ephesus, the Apostolic Church, going down Smyrna. Group A is all of the churches that had uh, the he that hath an ear before uh, the promise to the overcomer. Okay, He that hath an ear before the promise. The last four are group B promises are in, well, here, I got it backwards. You see it right there. Group A promises postscript. That's right. No, I did, I did say it right. <laughs> group B promises are in the body of the letter. All right. So those last four churches, those first three churches, those first three churches, you see, uh, um, well, first look at Philadelphia. There's one church. This promise to be taken out of the Great Tribulation, the Great Tribulation to the right. And Thyatira promised, if they don't get their act together, to be thrown into the Great Tribulation. So of these seven, one is promised to be taken out. One is promised to be thrown into the Great uh, Tribulation. Pretty interesting. Uh, but churches one through three are gone from the earth. Interesting. And churches uh, uh, four, five, six, and seven, still here still here to this day. So, uh, you know, take the, you know, take this for what it is. You know, it's conjecture, all of it. it but it's, and uh, I just find it very interesting. I really think that there is something to this, okay? I think it's, it just shows God's fingerprints at the end of the day. That nothing is accidental in the Bible. Every I, every crossing of the T, 
yeah, every yacht, every tittle, right, is intentional. And God loves to show off. He loves to reveal himself, even in the most minute details, something as simple as, I chose these seven churches. I didn't even pick Jerusalem. I didn't even pick Antioch. I picked these seven because they had these issues and these issues that were going to be relevant for the, for the church throughout church history and for the end time church. And here we are. Here we are. So cool. So with that, there's another piece here. And I'm just going to show you a, a, a picture. Okay, we're not going to jump off into this because it would take too much time. All right. Can I see that picture that says seven kingdom parables, please? Seven kingdom parables. Got it? All right. Here we see these seven specific churches again. There is a very interesting correlation between the seven kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13 and these seven churches specifically in Ephesus as well. We are familiar with Matthew 13, the sower and the four soils, the tares and the wheat, the mustard seed, the woman and the leaven. God is speaking in a way that he never has in his own words. He, sa he says, I'm speaking now in a way that I've not since the beginning. So it's a, we're not going to do this tonight, but I just want to put this into your mind because I want you guys to do me a favor for next week. I want you to study Matthew chapter 13. Okay, because we're not quite done with those seven churches. We're going to put, we're going to do an addendum <laughs> to tonight's message uh, before we move into chapter four. Okay, interesting, interesting stuff here. Read that chapter, and we're going to open it wide for you guys in a way that we never have before. Interestingly enough, can I see this next picture as well of the seven churches? Uh, it might be way down at the bottom, Evangeline. Seven churches, Jesus. Uh, Jesus' churches and Paul's churches. Do we have that? I'll give you a second. We got it. That a girl. Here's the, the seven letters that Jesus wrote to his churches uh, in Revelation. You know, Paul wrote uh, 10 total letters. He wrote to Timothy uh, in Ephesus in, when he wrote First and Second Timothy. He wrote to Titus in uh, the letter of Titus, wrote to Titus in Crete. Uh, those are three letters. The rest of Paul's writings are seven letters to seven churches. Uh, do these seven churches that Jesus wrote uh, letters to have similarities to seven letters that Paul wrote? And why did they both write set to seven churches? And is there anything there for us as well? So a couple teasers for you guys there tonight. Um, but let me share with you uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read that. Again, we're going to jump into this next week. Here's another teaser for you as we close. After these things, I looked. Remember, we just got done reading chapter 3. We finished up with the letter to Laodicea. Then he comes in right away, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. He says, after these things, metatauta in the Greek, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. Arapazzo. <laughs> and I will show you things which must take place after this. And that there is that same word again, metatauta. So after these, metatauta in the Greek means after these things. So after these things, I look, behold, an, an open door standing in, uh, 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 a, a door standing open in heaven. And God, an open door, get the visual. And God says, come up here. 
and I'll show you what has to happen after these things again. So, <laughs> we've established one through three, all of the stuff for the churches. The church, 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 church is focused on in uh, Revelation chapter one through three. The church, 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 church. Now, after these things, is this after the church age? Is this after the church? Something happens to the church? Because immediately after the conversation of the church, what happens? He says, come up here. Door, door to heaven is open. Come up here, right? And then he moves into the other things that are going to happen in chapter 4, which are pretty interesting. Uh, verse 5. Can I see this next graphic, Eva? Evangeline. One more. Next one. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. And that is a major teaser for you guys. If you've been with us through this whole study and you go all the way back to our first lesson when we explained what the, lamp, uh, the lamps of fire were. What were they? They were the church. So the lamps are now before the throne in heaven before everything that is about to follow after. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool. All right, last point. Last point for tonight. Here's a prom there, we, we've completed all the seven churches here, uh, except for the look at Matthew 13 that we're going to do next week. Let's take a look at this. What are all of the promises here? You've, you've seen God has said to the churches and to everybody in the churches on a personal level, on a corporate level, on a historic level. Uh, to you, he says, here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what you can do to fix it. Here's what you've been doing well. Here's what uh, I promise. If you do fix this, here's what I promise you. Can I see that list of promises to the overcomers? You will, if you overcome, if you overcome, and you can overcome, you will eat of the tree of life. If you overcome, you will not hurt of the second death. And you're born once into this world. If you're born again, You'll never die again. You're born into this life. You die in the flesh, but you won't die eternally. Uh, Pergamus, he says, you'll, you'll eat the manna from heaven. I'll, I'll give you a stone with your name written on it, a white stone. It's a pass everywhere. I'll give you a new name. He says, Thyatira, he says, I'll give you power over the nations. I promise if you overcome, you'll have power over the nations. If you overcome, you will walk with Jesus in white. And your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Of Philadelphia, if you overcome, you will be taken out of the tribulation. That's right. And we did a word study on that last, last week, didn't we? He didn't say he's going to be with you through tribulation. No, he said he's going to take you out of the great tribulation. His name will be written on you. If you overcome, his name will be written upon you. That's ownership. And that is citizenship in heaven which contrasts starkly the seven-year tribulation period uh, mark of the beast that is to come. And lastly, Laodicea, if you overcome, you will sit with Jesus on his throne. Church, that is it. Oh, hear me now, guys. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. I hope that this has been a blessing for you guys tonight. If you've been through this study, uh, if you've been dealing with the, 
the Holy Spirit bringing conviction on your life and, and you know that there are things in your life that you need to overcome, that you need to step up, that you need to be disciplined about. There are ways in your life that you haven't been disciplined, you haven't been watchful. Uh, there are th- things that your paganism, things that you're allowing into your life. There's uh, sexual immorality that you're welcoming into your life and you know you've got to stop these things. You can overcome. You heard Jesus. You can overcome. And if you do... If you will, that's what it is. It's not a matter of if I can, because you can. It's a matter of if you will. Will you? Will you choose to? Because if you do, all of these things are for you. All of these things are for you. And so much more. So much more even in this life. To walk with him. To walk with him. To feel his presence with you. His peace, his reassurance, his comfort. To live a life with access to knowledge that passes beyond understanding. To live a life with blessed assurance that the things that, that torture this world with anxiety and fear and worry, you're just not bothered by. Or you overcome so easily because he's with you. His presence is with you at church. The Holy Spirit is moving on your heart tonight and you need to lay some things down. I want to invite you right now with me, right now, just before the living God, Stand to your feet or kneel on the floor, whatever you need to do. Just lift up your hands, lift up your heart, lift up your head with me and say, Jesus, oh, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the care that you have put into your word, Father, to show me who you are, to show me you're faithful and true, to show me that you are the amen. You are truth. Truth is not subjective. Truth is you, Jesus. So, Lord, I just pray right now, this is you. Say this with me. Say, I just surrender my heart to you. I want to get things right in my life. I want to overcome these things that have been weighing me down, have been burdensome to me. Lord, I want to I receive your instruction and correction. I receive your correction and instruction, and I take a step right now to act on it. Right now, this moment, moving forward, I name these things before before your throne, Father. I name them out. I know these areas I've got to get cleaned up, Lord God, because you're calling me to do it, and I will do it. I know I can do it with you, so I will do it. I name these things before you, Lord Jesus. I speak them. Speak them out of your mouth, those things right now. Speak them out of your mouth. What is it? Is it an addiction? Is it pornography? What is it? Speak them out. Come on now. Speak it out. Lord Jesus, I surrender these things to you, Father. I can overcome. I can overcome. I don't want to do do this life without you. I don't want to move through pretending I'm just fine, pretending even going to church, Lord. If If the Spirit is calling you out of a dead church, if the Spirit is calling you out of a corrupt uh, church, whatever it is, right, take this moment to step forward and to step out, to open the door. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, Jesus said, to the church that he was not even in. But if just one of you, if any one of you would open that door, open that door. Say, Lord Jesus, I open the door, Father. I open the door of my heart. I open the door of my church, God. Lord Jesus, give me discernment and wisdom. Lead me, Lord. I surrender my heart. Now say this. If you want to say a prayer of recommittal 
Or if you've never given your life to Jesus, say this with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you love me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose from the dead on the third day, and that tomb was empty. And because you live, I live. And I put my faith and trust that you did that. And that was real. And that was enough to pay for my sin because the precious, your precious blood, Jesus, is enough to pay for my sin. I believe that. So I put my hope in you that my eternity is secure by my faith in you, Lord. As your word says, say this now. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and make me new. Receive this confession of faith and walk with me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen, guys. We love you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you find joy. Oh, even in the midst of such political turmoil, may you laugh. May you find joy. Uh, may you knit your heart with fellow believers. And may you find a church family if you don't have one, Lord. I pray that for you guys. So may you prosper in all you do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We love you guys. Have a good night. We'll see you Sunday morning.